Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail. Renowned poet June Jordan viewed poetry as a way of, quote, taking control of the language of your life and as a foundation for true community. Jordan, who started the Poetry for the People program at the University of California, Berkeley, thought of poetry as a way to speak truth. We check in with four poets, Jasmine Manns, Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, Aja Monet, and Solma Sharif, about making art and telling their truths during a challenging time and what poems are sustaining their spirits. And we want to hear from you. What are the first few lines of your favorite poem? And what poets are you reading these days? Email us at forum at kqed.org. That's all next, after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail, and I'm one of many different voices KQED will be bringing to you often week by week as we search for a new host in this 9 a.m. hour. Mina Kim has been named the permanent host of the statewide 10 a.m. hour. Now for today's show. Poetry should hopscotch in a polka dot dress. Wheel, cartwheels, and hold your hand when you walk past the yellow crack house. Poetry should wear bright red lipstick and practice kisses in the mirror for all the fine young men with fades shooting craps around the corner. Poetry should dress in fine plum linen suits and not be so educated that it don't stop in every now and then to sit on the porch and talk about the comings and goings of the world. Poetry should ride the bus. That was Ruth Foreman reciting part of her poem, Poetry Should Ride the Bus. And it's a fitting start to this hour where we're going to talk about the things poetry can be for us and the places it can go, the things it can make us feel, the friendship it can provide, the rage it can stir, the tears it can release, especially as we navigate our current reality. And today we're not going to parse poets or styles of poetry. So whether you follow what's been termed Instagram poets or have a 40-year-old dog-eared hard copy of a Lawrence Ferlinghetti book or even never paid much attention to poetry, join Join the conversation and also tell us if there is a favorite poet or poem that's been comfort or inspiration for you. Email us at forum at kqed.org. In a bit, we'll hear from poets Aja Monet, Solma Sharif, and Marcelo Hernandez Castillo. But joining me first is Jasmine Manns. Her debut collection of poetry, Chalk Outlines of Snow Angels, was published in 2012, and her new book of poetry titled Black Girl Call Home comes out Tuesday. Welcome to Forum, Jasmine Manns. My pleasure to be here. 
and so great to hear your voice. Let's kick things off with a poem, shall we? Yeah, um, I I have the pleasure, I guess, of reading um, from my book. These are some of the first days of me reading from this collection. Um, that was her way of showing God. We didn't go to church on Sundays, but my mother cleaned the whole house, wiped from behind the toilet to inside of the oven. That was her way of honoring God, separating cloth by color, making sure nothing bled onto anything else, stretching pork across seven days because even poverty knows ritual, baptizing black babies in bathtubs of hand-me-down water, one after another, a poor woman's ritual, but of his own abundance. That was her way of showing God, that she had a servant's heart, that she was a good woman with all the little she had. Thank you. And tell us a little bit about um, writing that poem and also what you set out and then more broadly, what you set out to tell the world with this book. Oh, well, with, with this piece, um, as I started developing Black Girl Called Home, um, it took me somewhere with my mom. And, and my first intention was to to start at home, right? And um, it meant diving into how I was raised and what I remembered. And so uh, my, my first journey was, was tapping into my own memory. And so you'll see some of the first pieces in this book is just me charging through my own memory. Mm. And um, from everything to my hair, to watching my mother clean on Saturdays, um, to, to my memories of her describing when I was a baby and how I cried. And so um, that's what you see in, in this poem and in the first few poems of the book. And what did I uh, set out for in, in, uh, in writing this book? Um, that's the loaded question, and I think I set out to to do many things, um, and then many things kind of set out upon me. I would say, um, one of the first things I wanted to do was tell my story of home. Um, the the second thing I wanted to do was um, was narrate a story that I thought was important to the black girl. And that meant um, just collecting thought of what was valuable in the memories that I had, memories from um, Sandra Bland um, and Whitney Houston, Serena Williams, uh, my mother, um, narrative of what, what the Black woman's body meant um, not only today, um, what it means not only today, but it, what it meant um, during, during the 1800s. Um, and so what I set out to do was um, learn more. And, and as I learned more about just my own body, women's bodies, um, I just asked more questions. And so also what you see in Black Girl Call Home and, and what we see in poetry in general is nothing like definitive or finite, but a journey of thought and questions. And so what, you, what I hope that the audience receives is a Black girl trying to find her way home. And that metaphor um, truly just means seeking to learn self, right? Seeking to know 
who I am, who my mother is, and then what? How how did this narrative of black womanhood and black girlhood shape upon itself? Um, and and so I, I went digging, and and truly I am still digging. And so this book is just a contextualization of of a black girl digging. Um, a black girl from Newark digging, and I think it's something about it's something to say about being really specific about. I come from Newark, New Jersey, and so um, I'm digging in these these moments of 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 being on Lines Avenue and Chancellor, and and I wanted Newark and women from Newark to feel like I am speaking um, through through kind of their routes. Mm. And what has writing been like for you in this past year, whether it was finishing the book or or just working on other um, projects? Has it been cathartic or difficult just navigating our world? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because it's just like writing is a very emotional experience. And so there was a long time for me especially before the book. And I was blessed not to have this experience during the book, but um, writing was so emotional that I, I ran and so I would try and I would put some words on the paper and then I would run and wouldn't show up until maybe a few weeks or even a mm. month later. And so my, my process was, um, was inconsistent. And um, then um, I, I tried to study emotionally and like theoretically, like how do I own my process um, where it's not um, this 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 trauma filled experience and and I can and I can coexist with it. And um, and so I really and in, in writing this book, especially workshopped my way um, through the, these pieces and, and made it both um, an intellectual experience and a fun experience, a playful experience. And, and and me and my friends often talk about the ability for black women to play because you don't often hear play and black women in the same sentence. And so I had to honor the playfulness in order to survive the process. Well, let's have you, I think we have time for one more short poem. Um, This is a request I had, it was one I enjoyed from your book. Can you read Crazy from Black Girl Call Home? Oh my gosh, let me, uh, let me, do you know what page it's on? Oh no, I don't have that in in front of me, and that's okay if you don't have it. I can I just can go on to our our next question um, while you like. I because I did see um, an old video of you performing, and before you started the poem, you said someone once told me that your poem doesn't start mm-hmm. till you start telling the truth. Um, and just kind of our last kind of minute and a half or so, can you just talk a little bit about the process of getting to the truth when it comes to writing? I imagine it's not necessarily always immediate or in the first draft. I know that's kind of a big question, but just kind of your abridged answer. Yeah. Um, my mentor at the time, Queen Goddess, said that your poem does not start until you start telling the truth. And oftentimes, especially as scholars, um, as as just young people of art form, whether that is poetry or or anything, um, we try to master it. We 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 dive into concepts of what is good and and what is bad. Um, we try to um, 
own language in a way that language is not to be owned. And I realized, and what I believe that so many of my teachers were telling me um, is not to create a space where there's good or bad language or um, where there's a dialect that is more worthy than another, but what is your story? And that's what I was trying to get to the center of in Black Girl Call Home, what I'm trying to get to the center of as a woman, um, that it's not, there is no such thing as the best story. It is stories. And how do you honor your story? And like, I can't write Black Girl Call Home and change the my mother's narrative because I think it is unworthy. Um, but it is the it is the, the truth is finding worthiness in your story and finding it worthy enough to be able to tell it. Um, and so there you have it. Her new book is Black Girl Call Home out on Tuesday. Jasmine Manns, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And before we head into the break, here's a poet beloved in the Bay Area, the late Adrian Rich, reading a poem fitting of these times titled, In Those Years. In those years, people will say, we lost track of the meaning of we, of you. We found ourselves reduced to I, and the whole thing became silly, ironic, terrible. We were trying to live a personal life. And yes, that was the only life we could bear witness to. But the great dark birds of history screamed and plunged into our personal weather. They were headed somewhere else, but their beaks and pinions drove along the shore through the rags of fog where we stood saying, I. You're listening to Forum. We'll have mo- more poetry with Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, Solmal Sharif, and Aja Monet after the break. I'm Ariana Prail. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. This hour, we're talking with poets about their work and about the ways poetry helps us to tell the truth, and in doing so, can help us cope with hard times. So we want to hear from you. What poets are you turning to these days? You can even share the first few lines of your favorite poem. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at KQED. KQED.org. And joining me now is Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, poet and author of the poetry collection Sensole and the memoir Children of the Land. Welcome to Forum, Marcelo. 
Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And we also have Solma Sharif, poet and professor at Arizona State University, author of the poetry collection Look, which was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2016. Welcome to Forum, Solmaz. Thank you so much, Ariana. It's a pleasure. So this hour, we're also taking inspiration from June Jordan's Poetry for the People program she founded and taught at UC Berkeley, and that carries on to the carries on through today, even after her death, a program that believes poetry means taking control of the language of your life and is a foundation for true community, a fearless democratic society. Solmaz, I'll start with you. You and I actually met in the Poetry for the People course at Berkeley almost 20 years ago, my gosh. And you'll be launching a similar program at Arizona State University next year. What is it about this framework that June Jordan created, that poetry is for the people, that you think is so special, so significant? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, You know, it's actually, it's precisely that quote that you brought up, Ariana, about poetry, meaning taking control of the language of your life. Um, The impact of that control and that move toward um, an articulate uh, self-determination is just so incredibly invaluable and stirring and has meant everything to my writing, um, but also just everything to my being. Um, What drove me to the program was this belief, this deep belief that any kind of act of poetry or any act of language cannot be removed from its political context, cannot be removed from its responsibility to the people and to the world and to the urgent um, truths in which we live. And that just made an immediate and visceral sense to me. Um, And it's something that I've just been so eager to establish here now that I'm at Arizona State University as well, because one of the things that this pedagogical model does and enabled for all of us was um, a flexible and radical model that we could take out into the world and establish elsewhere beyond her her own work at UC Berkeley, for example. So I'm just trying to take up those reins where I can. And also joining us now is Aja Monet, surrealist blues poet, storyteller, and organizer, author of the poetry collection, My Mother Was a Freedom Fighter. Hello, Aja. Hello. Hi, welcome. So um, we were just talking a bit about the the meaning of June Jordan's Poetry for the People framework. And I know that's something, that spirit has also been in, in your work, and you lead your own program, Voices, Poetry for the People. What are your thoughts on the way, on this way of viewing poetry at any point in time, but especially amidst our current world? Um, yeah, well, I think June Jordan is a great, inspiration and was accessing something in her work um, and contemplating the ways that poetry helps us create a beloved community and what sort of community do we want to see in the world. And I think that was rooted in the idea that truth telling was um, critical and integral to a society that's a democracy or that it claims to be a democracy that we have to get to a place where truth-telling is the foundation of how we organize and how we um, facilitate, you know, resources to our community. Um, So I think for me, what I've learned through that is not just through June Jordan, but through the the historical legacy of the Black radical tradition and particularly um, the Black arts movement is that communal, 
engagement and practice and sharing is so crucial to one's self-determination. And so the ability to be able to um, pro- to write a poem is not so much about the productivity of creating the poem so other people can, can consume it and digest it, but what does actually creating poems in community do to the, to the individuals who are participating in that, that practice. Um, and what I've learned is that um, folks, people are transformed and you know, no democracy can truly um, take place if there isn't active participation. So I think seeing ways where um, we can create and see the, art, the artistic practice as an organizing practice and when we sit down to create art together, we are organizing our communities is what transformed uh, for me in looking at June Jordan's work and, um, you know, the, the Black Arts Movement, the Watts Prophets, looking at, you know, the, the National Black Theater. You look at uh, Gwendolyn Brooks and Obasi's workshops. I mean, this is historically what we do. We know that there was a, a counter effort from the establishment to make sure that the MFA program pulled people away from community and from the the we and focusing on the I. And I think that that's what I hope to sort of expose, but also um, transform in this current iteration of our movement moment. And Marcella, what is the role of poetry in your eyes? I know coming to a conclusion around that is something you've grappled with, particularly this past year um, with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so thank you again for <clears throat> having me here. And I've I've been thinking about this because um, I'm teaching uh, a course on place and an environment and how we engage with that environment, and how we engage with the communities that we are uh, from and the communities in which we are invited to. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I really like what um, Somaz said that, you know, language cannot be removed from its political historical context. And if we are only in the service of language, then we are doing a disservice to, you know, uh, what the vehicle of language is for. Um, I remember distinctly the first time that I did a poetry reading in my hometown. Um, 80% of the people there had never been to a poetry reading and didn't know what to expect. And so um, for me, I'm leading a, um, like a monthly uh, chat with, with, uh, with a, cultural center here and um, it's really been a an eye-opening experience as to what um, what we can say about place um, and exploring kind of the the strangeness of what we have always known um, and you know giving that to other people through our words but not necessarily allowing them to um, to completely uh, embody it. Um, you know, there's something in my writing that is only mine. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, um, I'm not sure what else to add, yeah. but... Um, yeah, that's, that's great. And, and kind of speaking of place, we are starting to get some comments of people sharing poems they enjoy. Deb writes, I'm reading poet Nate Marshall, a Southside Chicago native like myself, whose life experience could not be more different from mine. His poems are moving portraits of his various identities as a man of color and a condemnation of racism in my beloved hometown. When I say Chicago, his poem moves me to tears. Here's how it starts. Capital city of the flyover, crown jewel of the jailhouse, a town in love with its own blood. 
Well, I can't have a panel full of poets without hearing some poetry. So let's kick off kind of a little of a little bit of an open mic here. Solmaz, can you get us started with a poem of yours? Happily, um, I'll read a poem that will be in my next collection, which is entitled Customs. Um, and this poem is called He Too. Returning to the U.S., he asks my occupation. Teacher, what do you teach? Poetry. I hate poetry, the officer says. I only like writing where you can make an argument. Anything he asks, I must answer. This he likes too. I don't tell him he will be in a poem where the argument will be anti-American. I place him here, puffy, pink, ringed and plexi, pleased with his own wit and spittle, saving the argument, I am let in, I am let in until. Wow, thank you. And hearing I only like things with an argument. What Was that part of the spark that... That was definitely the spark. This is um, one of those poems that uh, came just completely out of what an officer said to me. So I thank him for writing this poem with me. (laughs) Aja Monet, let's hear a piece from you now. Next. Um, Okay. One second. Yeah. Oh, Oh, if you need a moment, we can go to Marcella. Do you want to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Be perfect. okay, yeah, we'll come back to you. Marcelo, do you want to share one of your poems with us? To. Yes, thank you. Um, it doesn't have a title. It's probably the only new poem that I've written in a couple of years. Um, and it's very uh, pertinent to the pandemic. And as a parent, being guilty of wanting to spend time on my own, away from my, my family. Um, and the guilt that is associated with that. After... Two days of walking, I came upon a river and washed my feet. None of this is new, the river, the washing, the cloth I used to dry. Acutely biblical in its occurrence, as in that particular shame that comes with solitude. And doesn't it, doesn't it take a village to be lonely? I left my home afraid to admit the reasons for my leaving that although the life I had made for myself was good and kind, it was unfamiliar in its kindness. Which is why, too, I think my father left, as fathers sometimes do, unwilling to accept the comfort they thought they wanted. Of this, too, nothing is new. The distance, the shame blistered in that distance. How the coldness of the water makes me want other things than what I've been given. My son is a son as I was a son, and I am a father as my father once was, which in itself is nothing special, unworthy even to be written about or remembered. And yet, and yet this distance and this cleanness feels impossible to repeat, though surely and unbearably it will. Thank you. For sharing that, Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, and was was writing that. Did that feel? Was that a cathartic process? Was that a difficult process? It was because I I went to the Nevada desert uh, to backpack for a couple of days, and um, uh, I had a panic attack in my tent. Um, 
I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, maybe because of that guilt that I felt of needing to to leave um, and then missing my family at the same time. So the conflict that I have, you know, with spending a year at home uh, raising a three-year-old. And Aja Monet, are, do you have a, a piece for us? Sure. Um, okay. I just want to say hello to, to the other poets on the call. Um, you know, it feels weird where this is the world we live in, but hopefully see y'all at some point yes. after all this. Um, yeah, so the poem I'm going to read is, um, it's the first quarantine poem I ever wrote, or it's the first poem I wrote during in COVID, when COVID first started. So it's just called First Quarantine Poem. We'll see if that changes. Hmm. What does it mean to be considered, looked after, thought of, tucked in, held, or wondered about, attended to, regarded as deserving of want or need, never alone in arms, another belonging, a heart horizon wide, to friend, a ship with sails, harness the wind, lean and lay where a wound dreams, not a weapon or trigger to pull or peel. Pain is a rattlesnake whispering sweet nothings of forever, the end gazing back at you. Care is a voice with hands, trembling courage, a hold letting go. Here is a sip of love, warm and unspeakable music, opens a chest, clears a throat like herbal tea, homemade breath, crossing lung to lung, sharing air like a kiss, soft cough drop, soothing shame like the rhythm of uncontrollable laughter. When you are sick, it's the gentle gestures of grace, a song in the thick of grief, a lightened load of laundry falling heavy on a shoulder. Care is a room full of listening. Care is familiar and thankless. While people hoard their nothingness, lounging in despair, the earth cleanses itself of greed and cancer clinging to her bones. Uncertainty rocks us to sleep, mouthing words of prayerless tomorrows, clutching pearls of market-driven identity, work filled and empty, everyone's chasing shadows on a conference call or in an email. But care is knocking on your door like a abuelita waiting online for food stamps. Care has mouths to feed, wastes no words, deliberate and knows tomorrow's not promised. The way the ground carries your feet is a care or how the dishes don't wash themselves. Care is inconvenient and intentional like poetry pouring out anyway. Hmm. And have words, have your words been kind of coming easy for you at this time or has it also been, has it been a challenging process to to find your words in in these times certainly yeah i think um that's like probably the second or third the only i've only written like two or three poems last year hmm. um that felt like they were poems everything else was probably more reflections or um you know work that i had to do for organizing you know but other other than that i think sitting down to with words has has been i've been re, i've been actually just receiving more reading more listening more it's been this past year has been a year of um listening you know 
and 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 uh, and and receiving. So I think that's been a bit of what my focus has been. I don't know for everyone else. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who can come out with a million books after this. But um, <laughs> well, I, I know, know. Marcelo, we heard uh, that kind of resonates for you. And, and Solmaz, you can also chime in if kind of more reading has been comfort. Um, not even more reading. Um, it's really just been uh, a dissociated state, like on a different astral plane every day. Um, what I used to do before, you know, I would I would um, write down little sparse uh, phrases and notes and journal entries and that, and eventually they would become something. I would find the vehicle, but now I feel like they've been left alone, and the second step hasn't happened for me. The the step of like putting those things together. And so all I have, you know, in my journals are just a disparate little, little nuggets that I don't know that don't fit with each other, that I don't know what they are. Um, and so, you know, I, I'll find, I'll find um, something to put them in, but for now that's, that's, that's all they are. And I don't really, they don't really make sense. I thought I was going to read those actually instead. Um, I chose the other one. Um, so we're actually coming up on a break, but um, Solmaz will will get to you out of the break. And but for our listeners, you can join us now. What poets are you turning to these days? You can even share the first few lines of your favorite poem. Give us a call eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We've been talking with Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, Solmaz Sharif. Aja Monet about their poetry, and we'll have more after this break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Even tonight, and I need to take a walk and clear my head about this poem about why I can't go out without changing my clothes, my shoes, my body posture, my gender identity, my age, my status as a woman alone in the evening, alone on the streets, alone not being the point. The point being that I can't do what I want to do with my own body because I am the wrong sex, the wrong age, the wrong skin. And suppose it was not here in the city, but down on the beach or far into the woods, and I wanted to go there by myself, thinking about God, or thinking about children, or thinking about the world, all of it disclosed by the stars and the silence. I could not go, and I could not think, and I could not stay there alone as I need to be alone, because I can't do what I want to do with my own body, and who in the hell set things up like this? 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail, and that was June Jordan reading part of her famous poem, Poem About My Rights. We're talking about the role of poetry in challenging times with Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, poet and author of the poetry collection Sensotle, Solma Sharif, poet and professor at Arizona State University and author of the poetry collection Look, and Aja Monet, surrealist blues poet, storyteller, and organizer and author of the poetry collection My Mother Was a Freedom Fighter. Uh, Solmaz, I'll start with you, just kind of your reaction to hearing poem about my rights. And you were speaking early about the personal it, as political, and, and that really comes through in this one, of course. Mm, yes. Uh, thanks for that, Ariana. I just, uh, I'm always so moved to hear June read that poem. I can't help but think of the first time I read it, um, which was 20 years ago now and how it absolutely changed my life and how it was one of those poems that immediately made me pick up the phone and read it to somebody else. Um, it's just one of the incredible things that a poem can do. Um, it can speak to the isolated um, and lonely and disdained parts of ourselves, steal those parts a bit, ready it for the fight, um, keep company there, provide company there, but then also that impulse to then do something with that energy, to reach out to the next person and to pass it on um, is just something that June's work in general on the page and off the page has just um, done for me. And I'm and not just myself. I know um, my whole life. Um, I can't help but think of that when I hear that poem and I hear her reading that poem. And of course, that rhetorical question, um, who the hell set things up like this? Yeah. That refrain um, that I keep returning to myself. Well, Lori tweets, I dated someone who would send me poetry. I didn't appreciate it. I've been reading the poems in the New York Times magazine and found that modern poetry is speaking to me. I think that my public school education focused on classic poets, and I didn't connect with that work. Aja, do you have some thoughts on, on what Lori shares? Oh, Audrey, um, oh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, well, I I don't I don't have any specific thoughts, but I think um, I think there's there's usefulness to the poems that are being written today, as well as the poems that we stand in the legacy of. I think the the poems that are coming out of this moment um, could not exist without the poets who have come before us. So, I think that um, any any poem that someone engages with or sits with. It's really about who you are when you come to it. And um, I think a poem reveals the person who's receiving it more than it does the poet in, in many ways, in many instances. So I think there has to be a level a level of, I, I think poetry is sacred. So I think there has to be a level of um, humility when one comes to a poem. And uh, instead of seeing art or seeing a poem as a transaction, like what can I get from this? Or does this serve me? Or do I see myself in it? Is, I think it's more about how do uh, how does um, how do we look at ourselves and and uh, look at a poem as a as a space for um, for contemplation for reflection and almost like sac uh, like sacred text you know um, that there has to be I don't think many people are taught today in schools poetry in a way that encourages. Um, the, the complexity and the discomfort and the frustration 
um, but also the reverence for the process of trying to understand the, 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 the purpose of a metaphor, which I think the metaphor has this thing that it does to all of us um, that gets us to sit in to sit in ourselves in a new way. And so, yeah, I would say that um, I think poetry is poetry, whether it's contemporary or, or the past. I think all the poems uh, reveal something to us about the time, but also uh, about who we are at the time that we attend to them. Matthew writes, I've been blessed to join a virtual queer bedtime stories group. I have rediscovered Walt Whitman and found solace in these lines from the Live Oak with Moss Cycle. I dreamed in a dream. I saw a city invincible to the attacks of the whole of the rest of the earth. And Renee writes, I am fortunate to teach at the high school in San Francisco named after June Jordan. And as a staff, we studied her poetry to educate our students about it. I am the school librarian and our students check out poetry a lot. Their favorites include June Jordan, Rupi Kaur, and Yasika Salgado. My recent favorites are Javier Zamora and locals Tania Lunsford Links and Alejandro Merguia and Denez Smith. I feel like we should have we should have all read Smith's poem My President every inauguration day. Um, Marcelo, what are who that was kind of a long list of poems uh, of poets are who are the writers that you're turning to these days poets? Well, um <clears throat> I have uh I really, um, I mean, I, I, I was just still thinking about about the the previous question about how many years I went without seeing myself in the poems that I read, and though mm. I am fortunate, I am glad that I was exposed to those poets early on. Um, you know, I I I was um, uh, sad that I, that it took so long for me to come to poetry not for, not as an outsider but as an insider. Um, front, and, and that I could see myself and my experiences where possible as subject matters. And so, you know, people that I'm reading right now, um, I think I'm going back to, um, I'm reading a lot of prose poems. Um, and so um, reading poets like Aga Shahid Ali, Kathy Parkong, um, and some of the prose poems of like uh, Gertrude Stein. So, you know, much earlier in the 20th century. Um, yeah. We have another comment. Christina writes, Suhair Hamad wrote a piece called First Writing Since, which is a stunning piece about her experience with her complex intersectional identities, Palestinian feminist woman, sister, immigrant, New Yorker, during the period immediately following the attacks on the World Trade Center on 9-11. The entire poem is worth the read. The first few lines here. There have been no words. I have not written one word. No poetry in the ashes south of Canal Street. Solmaz, do you have any reflections on Suhir Hamad? Yes. Um, I mean, I love what, what to say about Suhir Hamad's work and herself and um, another poet uh, without whom there is no me. Um, and that's another poem that I remember reading and hearing her read and playing the recording of her reading obsessively um, because it was the, one of the first ones and one of the only ones really that acknowledged for me the complexity of that moment um, for myself as uh, an Iranian woman um, in the aftermath of, of 9-11 in the U.S. Um, and uh, did so with such beauty and music and grace and grief and in the way that really only a poet and a poem can. Um, it's just really good to hear her name right now, I have to say. Thanks. 
And we have another comment. Nancy writes, I love the contemporary poet Kim Dower. Her poems are so whimsical and comforting and heartbreaking and evocative. Here's a favorite. They took the mailbox away on Kawenga and Clinton. I know because I wasn't feeling right. Um, so these are all kind of just the teasers for folks. If you if you like what you hear, you can go go look up the rest of the poem. And in Aja Monet, what poem? What poems or poets um, have you been turning to in this time? Um, I've been turning to a lot of writers that are not poets, actually. But um, I will say that I've uh, as a as a as a go-to, I always re- return to Entezaki, Shange, June, Jane Cortez. Um, I've also been sp- within the like last few weeks. I've been spending a lot of time with Ruth uh, Foreman's poems, and that's been really good to revisit. Um, yeah, we kicked off the show with her actually. With poetry should ride the bus. Oh, dope! Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, I mean, incredible, and and. Um, I think also like people listen, you know, there's a book called uh, Deep Listening by Pauline Oliveros that I've been spending a lot of time with as I'm working on this project right now um, for black women across the the African continent diaspora. And I think there's a lot to there's a lot of poetry and other works that I'm I'm receiving during this time as well. So that's also been exciting is finding the ways that other writers use poetry or um, offer poetic devices or moments in their work and and that's that's been something i've also been sitting with well let's go to a caller irina and napa you're on um yeah i want to mention uh mary oliver she just passed away about uh, nine months ago or six months ago i don't remember but uh uh, this is a joy poem, and it might be good to keep the positive rolling since we have been uh, having a lot of gloom. It's called happiness. I'm going to just read a couple lines. In the afternoon, I watched the she-bear. She was looking for the secret bin of sweetness. And then... Later on, she climbed down a tree after tree and shuffled on through the woods. And then she founded the honey house deep past hardwood and deep into, the, into it among the swarming bees. I saw her let go of the branches. I saw her lift her honeyed muscle into the leaves and her thick arms as though she would fly an enormous bee, all sweetness and wings. She had found the honey. Well, thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you for sharing that with us, Irina. And we also, our listener writes, um, F your lecture on craft, my people are dying by Noor Hindi and Gesolma Sharif's uh, social skills training are two poems that introduce me to the possibilities of poetry for expressing outrage. Um, And the first couple lines. I'll read your poem, Solmans, I guess. <laughs> Studies suggest, how may I help you, officer, is the single most disarming thing to say and not what's the problem. Uh, do you want to speak to your to your work there being shouted out? Sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm honored. Um, I that, that poem, Social Skills Training, came about as I was 
looking into the history and language of the self-improvement industry in the U.S. And I was looking at a lot of um, business journals and books that try to teach you how to negotiate your best kind of offer and package in all the ways that we are asked to change the language that we use to describe the world around us um, and interact the world with the world around us so that the world around us becomes more, um, so we become more tolerant of it um, rather than um, having the world around us change. And in that, in that study and in that research, I came across um, studies that have basically tried to say what what you should say to an officer, for example, or what you should say to a boss um, in order to not offend um, and to not threaten your life. Um, and the problem there, of course, of being asked perpetually to change your own behavior and your own affect and your own tone and your own language um, in order to uh, survive and even then, huh, at great risk. Yeah. Well, this listener writes, my favorite is Lorna D. Cervantes' poem for the young white man who asked me how I, an intelligent, well-read person, could believe in the war between races from the book Emplumada. The first lines are, in my land there are no distinctions. The barbed wire politics of oppression have been torn down long ago. And Claire writes, this little Walt Whitman poem has been with me since my childhood. It has been a sweet reminder of beauty in times of struggle. And the first couple lines, after the dazzle of day is gone, only the dark, dark night shows to my eyes the stars. Uh, so we just have about a minute left if we just um, want to hear kind of a poem that you would recommend to our listeners check out. Could be one of yours or or somebody that you admire. I know we've been talking about a lot, but would love to kind of just hear that as a close. Um, uh, Marcelo, let's start with you. Marcelo, are you there? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, I, I had to uh, unmute. Um, I guess it's not even even a poem, but it is. It does function as poems. It's called "The End of Peril, The End of Enmity, The End of Strife: A Haven." Um, by Theory Mio Kiyomint. Great. Um, yeah. And Solma Sharif? Uh, so many, but I'll, I'll throw out A Lovely Love by Gwendolyn Brooks. Great. And Aja Monet. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I know, I'm putting you on the spot. But <laughs> yeah, won't you celebrate with me, Lucille Clifton? Great. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you all for joining me today. Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, poet and author of the poetry collection Sensotle, Solma Sharif, poet and professor at Arizona State University, author of the poetry collection Look, and Aja Monet, surrealist blues poet, storyteller, and organizer, author of the poetry collection My Mother Was a Freedom Fighter. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And we'll close with a poem from San Francisco's poet laureate, Tongo Eisen Martin, who was featured recently on the KQED Arts podcast, Right Nowish. A police chief says, Yes, you poets make points, but they're all silly. Police chief sewing a mouth onto a mouth. Police chief looking straight through the poet. Flesh market, both sides of the levy. Change of plans, both sides of the nonviolence. On no earth, just an earth character. His subordinate says, Awkward basketball moves look good on you, sir. Yes, we are everywhere, sir. Yes, unfortunately for now, white people only have black history. 
We will slide the wallpaper right into their cereal bowl, sir. Sir, veil the shuffle. I'm a beggar, and all of this day is too easy. I want to see all the phases of a wall every age it goes through. It's humanity. It's environmental racism. We call this the ordeal blues. Now crawl to the piano seat and make a blanket for yourself. Paint scenes of a child dancing up to the court appearance and leaving a man but not for home. Atlantic Ocean charts mixed in with the parole papers. Ruling class, printing judges. Fiat kangaroos, making judges hand over fists, rapture cop packs and opposition whites all above a thorny stem, cast plans picked out like vans for the murder show, Anglo saints addicting you to a power structure. Hey, you want me to raise a little slave, don't you? Dash his little brain in and send him to your civil rights. No pain, just a white pain. Delicate bullets in a box next to a stack of monolith scriptures. It makes these bullets look relevant, don't it? I remember you. Everywhere you lay your head is the capital of the South. The posture you introduced to that fence, the fence you introduced to political theory. If you shred my dream, son, I will tack you to gun smoke. The suburbs are finally offended. This will be a meditation, too. That was San Francisco's poet laureate, Tongo Eisenmartin. You can hear the interview with him on KQ Yards' podcast, Right Nowish, with Pendarvis Harsha. Form is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Blanca Torres, Mandy Wen, Raquel Maria Dillon, Susan Britton, and Grace Wan. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Leslie Torres and Kimia Akbari. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Ariana Prail. I'll talk with you again next month. Rachel Myro joins you next week at 9, and of course, more Forum in the next hour. Stay tuned. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.